The Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny, only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks a hump move should be directed at a leg. That's Lenny, who has been doing that a lot lately. I don't know why. Maybe like a dirty old man thing. I'm Mina Kimes, and I am joined for the second time by a guest who this is your second time on the podcast the people were clamoring to have you back after the nfc south preview pod because they just can't get enough nfc south right now welcome back to the show hey thanks for having me mina i appreciate the people clamoring for a division that oh man i mean look it's tightly contested at the end of the season isn't that what everybody wants from the divisions in the nfl Uh, i keep like gesturing towards the nfc south kind of like the way somebody would point at like a bunch of boxes in your house that you don't want to deal with. I'm like, ah, it'll sort itself out at some point. Um, we are talking about one of the NFC South teams. We're going to talk about the Bucks, who is a team you know very well, mm-hmm. a team that uh, I haven't really talked about in a while. Uh, so I am caught up on the Bucks. Watched a little bit of uh, Bucks to prepare for this. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we'll get to that. It's a big game, uh, meaningful playoff round. The the crazy thing about the NFL right now um, is they're just like, usually by this time last year, I feel kind of bad because I'm talking about the same teams. I'm not talking about a bunch of teams because so many teams are effectively rolled out. But this year, uh, the playoff race is going to go down to the wire uh, it is especially the AFC is crazy. The AFC, I'm gonna do a YouTube video on this, minakimes.com, or not Minakimes, it's youtube.com slash adminakimes. Check it out. Talking about all of the AFC teams that are over 500 because there are 11 of them right now, which is crazy. Um, in trying to sort out sort of why what's good about those teams and why they could potentially make a run. Uh, one of those teams is the Denver Broncos. So let's start there. Let's start with Broncos Lions. We're going to, as always, preview some games. There's some big ones, some bigger than others. You're going to help me uh, pick some. I, I did very bad last week because of all the underdogs. But we're going to go through all the, so the rest of the games at the end. Um, but I did. I, I, I sent you a list of games. And I, um, I am excited to talk about the Broncos and the Lions because uh, this is a very hard game to pick, which is odd because I think a month ago or certainly two months ago, John, I think everybody would have just automatically said Detroit. Yeah, the the fortunes of both these teams have swung in opposite directions, sort of. And a lot of it's turnover related, right? I mean, Jared Goff, through the first stretch of this season, like there was few better at protecting the football, which isn't necessarily something we've known Goff for. But uh, over the first nine games of the season, he had just six turnover worthy plays per PFF. But over the past four games, he has eight. And so that is a big reason why the Lions are moving the opposite direction. The Broncos, meanwhile, Lots of turnovers early in the season. They're in the negative. Now they are leading the NFL in turnovers defensively in terms of takeaways. So that is really, it's kind of a, it's a swing stat, right? So which means the game could go either way, depending on how this goes. The one thing I'm concerned about if I'm Detroit, they don't protect Jared Goff like they did early in the season. Everybody wants to blame Goff. But like, if you look at the reality right now in the situation, he's under pressure on 35% of his dropbacks despite having the sixth fastest time to throw of any quarterback in the league right now. It's somewhat on him because when anything goes wrong, he goes wrong. But at the same time, if that offensive line can be better and can get back to full health, everybody practiced, I think, yesterday, they could be a better team still moving forward. I, I Let's start there. And you make a fantastic point about the protection because I think sometimes with teams, we 
stick to a narrative about the team when it's no longer true deep into a season. And I think with the lions, there's an assumption for those who don't aren't watching lions games or haven't been watching, you know, when they're not been a prime time or whatever, there's this, Oh, they have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. So, uh, you know, they they can run the ball with dominance. Jared Goff's fine back there. But what you just said is, is something that's really affected this offense. It's what really jumped out to me, um, in the loss to Chicago, which is, the struggles that they had in pass protection and there's been injuries there. I believe um, Graham Glasgow was playing center for Frank Ragnow. I think that does make a massive difference for them um, on the interior. But the one thing we know about Jared Goff and I, I think we can say it confidence because he's played so much football now is he is a quarterback who is dramatically affected by pressure. This has always been the case, even when he's played well in Los Angeles or last year in Detroit, um, if you can protect him, He's fantastic. He has a great arm. He's accurate. He's usually a good decision maker. But the second he's under pressure, he is one of the quarterbacks who is more sensitive to that than others. And and you, <laughs> this year, uh, his QBR when pressured is one. John, it's one. It's 1.3, actually. And, so and that's the yeah. He also has the fastest time to throw on snap yeah. under pressure. So it's not even like he's holding the ball and inviting pressure. Like, that's the funny thing about Jared Goff. In some ways, he's kind of like the perfect quarterback until there's pressure because he's yes. never too deep in the pocket. He always knows when to climb and move in the pocket. He gets the ball out quickly. Like, all the things you kind of want as an offensive lineman, he does in the pocket. The problem is, as soon as anything goes wrong or a guy loses 1v1, it's over. Not only is it over, it could be a disaster for the Lions. So, so what concerns me about this matchup is while I don't think this, you know, Denver defense is elite there. I've, I've talked about this on my pod. I talked about it on YouTube. Uh, the turnovers certainly help. They have a decent pass rush and it's a pass rush that has really improved over the course of the season. You know, when they moved on from Frank Clark and Randy Gregory, Baron Browning came back uh, since week seven, which is when they started winning games they have the second highest pressure rate of any four-man rush in the NFL. And when they blitz, and Vance Joseph loves to blitz, they have the third highest sack rate. You saw that against Los Angeles, where they were getting a ton of pressure, first on Justin Herbert, then on Easton Stick, both with the standard rush. uh, And also when they send Alex Singleton, or the best player in the NFL, Jaquan McMillan. I am okay. So the turnover thing, I some Brock, I actually feel like my video is very pro Broncos generally, but um, some Broncos fans were like, "Well, you can't, you know, turnover. They're, they're good at getting turnovers, and teams aren't good at getting like your turnovers yeah. are a thing that tend to regress." That said, I do think Jaquan McMillan might be the biggest turnover machine in the league, and it's not luck. Like that dude, it, he plays like a bat out of hell. There was um. One play, he had like a strip sack that was overturned. He was like defensing passes. He had the sack of it was Herbert. Um, he he blitzed. He blitzed a few times in this game. The way he turned the corner and dipped below Rashawn Slater, John, like he is a like a legit stud out there. Yeah, he's like an edge cornerback or something. Yeah, like that. yes, <laughs> yes. Like a, a combo position player. The first time I saw him was in the first match of the season, I believe, against the Chiefs. It's the first time I noticed him on NFL oh. field, and he had just gotten in because of injuries. And he was like everywhere. And I was like, who is this guy? Like, so I'm like yeah. looking him up. And no doubt, players like that, and just in general, Sean Payton's desire to advance just to, to turn the page and kind of yeah. go to some of these younger, more athletic players has been a big 
move in the right direction for them. Great. Nick Benito, Jonathan Cooper, I think both questionable. I believe they practiced in limited, I think, yesterday. Something, maybe something that was the kind of the status. So something to watch. Zach Allen's been good quietly. Nobody's talked about that free yeah. agent signing. Uh, you know, and maybe maybe they end up they overpaid him, but right now. He's made a big difference on that defensive line. Haven't heard much about Draymond Jones this season. And so I think that in general, they just made a lot of good decisions, moved in the right direction with their front. Now the question will be that Lions offensive line also getting healthy. You mentioned Glasgow being in there at center. He moved over from right guard. They've played like four different guys at right guard this season. Jonah Jackson's been banged up. The tackles have been pretty good all season, did not play well last week. And I think Dan Campbell said that. He said some of our best players didn't play well last week. And I think he was talking about Panay Sewell. And I think he was talking about Taylor Decker. And I think he was talking about Aiden Hutchinson and Jared Goff, obviously. And those guys have to play better for that team to be better. We'll get to Hutchinson and the defense. Um, I do want to ask you, like, I guess, you know, because the defense has been a problem for a while. I think every Detroit fan's pretty down on that unit. And we can yeah. talk about how they match up with Denver. But just, you know, to stay on the Lions offense, like, do you have concerns? Like, you know, because until last week, Goff's been a little bit up and down, but mm -hmm. they've still been a very good unit. Like, I, I still think they're I, I still think the play calling is good i know um i don't know but i i think there's some frustration with the fact that the the offense can feel kind of constricted like it's you know they do they it's a very run heavy unit but they're very yeah. very good at it and they they're very good at throwing over the middle of the field they don't really get much production outside the numbers but again that's really the personnel that they have they haven't really gotten jameson williams involved i don't know how much of that is design versus williams himself maybe not being reliable do you feel like it's still a, like a top 10 nfl offense despite what we saw last week i do but i think that it when you get when you talk about getting into matchups in the playoffs against defenses that are gonna be you know coming for you basically, you know, yeah. just frankly, the best defense in the league. You talk about defense like Dallas or, or San Francisco's Philadelphia. Certainly. I know they're struggling a bit right now, but those defense, like, I think the thing with Detroit is this, you said restricted. And I think that's a very good word for it because they don't threaten you at all levels of the field consistently. And some of that is the scheme. Some of that is how aggressive Goff generally is and just how quickly he likes to get rid of the football in general as a quarterback. I think what the people are missing is that I don't think he's really changed that much. Like even the, the beginning of the mm. season, maybe he was a tad more aggressive early in the season, but generally speaking, he's pretty much the same quarterback now that he was then. The difference is Jared Goff has kind of always been this way. Like if everything is good around him, everybody's healthy. The offensive line was dominating early in the season. The run game's still good, you know, but all these receivers hitting everything. Okay. Like he is, he is as good as anybody in the league in some ways. Like, but as soon as you need something out of structure, as soon as a specific play breaks down, he has 11 turn 11 of his 14 turnover worthy plays this season have come when he's under pressure. Like almost he's almost a perfect quarterback when he's not pressured. The problem is you're always going to be under pressure on part of your dropbacks in the NFL. And the fact that he can't elevate is a problem. The fact that they can't hit as many mm -hmm. explosives in the past game is a problem. That's why Jamison Williams for all his foibles and I'm not I'm not absolving him of blame either, but Detroit's coaching staff one of their biggest challenges is going to be how do we get this guy involved in the offense to a degree where he can be an actual threat down to down because they need what he brings to the table, what he brings to the offense. And it just hasn't happened consistently this season. Yeah. Jared Goff, 27th in QBR throwing outside the numbers this year, just looking at, yeah. you know, so it, 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 you know, Laporta is so great. Uh, mm -hmm. Such a good fit for what they do. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, he had a bit of a down week last week, but obviously he's amazing, but mm -hmm. you can't, live 
solely in the middle of the field the way that I think sometimes they do. Um, if they can just get Williams involved, and I think it would just force defenses to play them differently, like to respect the entire field as well. So, you know, I, I think there's a bounce back opportunity here for sure, but I, ultimately it's probably going to come down to what we talked about at the top, which is can they protect Jared Goff against mm-hmm. a improved pass rush? Um, on the other side of the ball, uh, so, okay, I, I I talked about this. I've talked about it on the pod, but also this was a bit, a lot of the video I did on the Broncos. I talked about how um, the philosophy this year is let Russ make snacks because <laughs> he has the lowest average death target of his career. It's a lot of screens, throws to the flats, and then he, they'll sprinkle in the occasional deep shot to Cortland Sutton, yeah. who, by the way, so enjoying the Cortland Sutton renaissance. He is an awesome yes. player. So I put out I, I I put out the video and the next week when they lost, so it wasn't this late last week, it was the previous week, Russ averaged like 13 air yards per attempt. It was all I felt like he was like trying to disprove I not I don't actually believe this guys. I'm not an egomaniac, but I was like, no, Russ, like I did the, the the formula was there. It was working. Then this past week against LA, they went back to the snacks. 5.9 yards per attempt and the amazing uh he had a, the amazing ball to Cortland Sutton and then he had one to Judy that Judy like you know it was his fault but that is what they're doing that is what they want to do that is the identity of this Denver offense do yeah. you think they'll be able to do it successfully against a Lions defense that has been quite bad now for a couple of months yeah, the big struggle for the Lions is that their cornerback play just isn't what they hoped it would yeah. be uh, this season. And they hoped they'd have Emmanuel Mosley and their safety play. You could say the same thing for they hoped they'd have Emmanuel Mosley and he would be one of their starters opposite Camp Sutton and that Jerry Jacobs would be their backup. And then they hoped, obviously, that Chauncey Gardner-Johnson would be the starter next to Kirby Joseph and Joseph would play free safety and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson would be there, do everything safety. And then they have Brian Branch and all this positional versatility. Everybody can play the nickel and all this stuff. Because of injuries, it just hasn't happened that way. Gardner Johnson's missed most of the season, obviously. Mosley uh, came back, then got hurt immediately, and he'll be out the rest of the year. So because of that, it's been a situation where Jerry Jacobs, who started the season okay and made some splash plays, has just been getting exposed kind of left and right now. And and he is a tough, competitive player. On a snap-to-snap basis, he isn't a bad football player. But what what happens is that there is almost every – time every game there is a couple just what are you doing plays where he gets beat for a splash play he's allowed seven touchdowns this season and four of those have come over the past five weeks and late in this game Kendall Vildor actually replaced him at outside corner so I don't even know what the group is going to look like necessarily I feel Cam Sutton has been up and down as well but I think what he brings to the table is a little more reliable and, and fixable and I think they just have kind of lost some faith in Jacobs. They benched Tracy Walker um, this past week, and they started um, Ifitu and Melifonwu instead. So I think they're they're searching for answers right now as a defense. Tough to, I mean, you said it. Russ is definitely making snacks this year, but at the same time, he's completed. I think he still is one of the highest adjusted completion percentage and deep balls this season. He's still completed like twenty two of those things this year, like twenty plus air yards or more. Like he can rip the thing still. And that's the yeah. one thing about Russ that has to scare the Lions the way their defense is playing currently. It's almost like um, Russ is like, uh, as a quarterback, a analytically optimized NBA team, right? <laughs> Where it's literally just layups and the occasional yep. three. I guess exactly. optimized, 
you know, you're shooting more threes, but um, they've ta- Peyton's taken out. There, there's just not much of an intermediate passing attack with this offense and it's fine because it's working. And to your point about the Lions defense, they're very prone to giving up the explosive play downfield and on short passes. I looked this up out of curiosity since week eight, they have the second worst success rate in the NFL um, linebacking group is not great in coverage. Anzalone came, he was better in the beginning of the year, but he came back yeah. and struggled. I I think there is like on both sides of the football you can kind of make a case for how the strengths of this Broncos team match up well with the weaknesses of Detroit. And I say that John thinking Detroit is like fundamentally a better team, but when you start looking at matchups and and tendencies you get a little bit nervous about them in this game and this feels like a must win for them. You do, and if you if you didn't trust Denver's coaching as much, even if they were hot and you just didn't trust the coaching and decisions, maybe you would be inclined to go to Detroit because I do think Detroit is a very well-coached team for the most part. Now people are going to bring up Aaron Glenn and the foibles there, and I understand. I also think he's deal- he's made the most of personnel throughout the year that has been available to him, especially in that secondary, a group that they just thought yeah. would look a lot different than it has looked this season. And so I, I think there's some of that. I would like to see them get away from playing three linebackers on the field as much as they do. Can they add some speed and coverage ability underneath? They have all these versatile DBs. Can they play a little more more of a dime look at times um, and just say, hey, if you're going to beat us against the run, you're going to beat us against the run. But sometimes this obsession with being so heavy up mm. front and not losing in the trenches can just invite teams to just uh, surgically take you apart underneath in the pass game. I think there's some moves to be made if you're Detroit that I think, I mean, they haven't really fallen. Like they have, they haven't played as well, but they still won some of these games. And in the NFL, you know, as well as I do, it's like a result oriented business. If you lose three in a row, then we make the changes. Now that they've lost two out of three, I think it is. um, Maybe they're more inclined to make some of those changes. The other interesting aspect of this is getting Bruce Irvin in here. Can the pass rush group kind of save some of what's happened in the secondary Losing Liam McNeil, just a huge loss. Again, like huge. all these guys go down and it it hurts everything that they're trying to do. Uh, James Houston early in the season. And so it, it's a it's disrupted anything that they've gotten once they've gotten in a flow. And Hutchinson, although he's a good player, we were a little out over our skis maybe in the media space in general and just saying like he's going to be a tier one pass rusher this season. That's not been the case. He's been a good player for sure. I'm not saying the pick is a bust or anything like that. But I don't know that he's the kind of guy that's going to carry a a rush group by himself. So they need other players to step up and be a part of the solution up front. I'll tell you what Aiden Hutchinson can't do is stunt inside against Russell Wilson like he (laughs) did to Justin Field. I I feel bad because that's kind of gone viral, that clip. But like, you know, Russell Wilson will move and he's moving well right now, Mm -hmm. by the way. So that's something you need to watch out for as well with Denver, especially in the red zone. Um, Man. I don't know who I'm going to pick in this one. I think I'm going to pick Detroit because I still I do believe that they're a better team. I think I do think they're well coached. I think the offense can get back on track for sure. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if like every other Denver game, this like goes down to the fourth quarter and I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'll probably pick Detroit. How about you? Yeah, this is a good one. I mean, obviously, as we talked about, kind of a difficult selection to make. And the one thing about Detroit we didn't talk about is just the fact that they can really run the football and like really run the football. Like they can create explosives in the run game. And if they get all their offensive line back, I also feel pretty good about them. Denver is playing well right now and they have beaten some good teams. They're just playing clean and efficient football. 
And Detroit has kind of been the opposite lately. So it does feel like it's kind of trending in a direction that if ever, if the norms continue, but we've said they're fickle, nor like a lot of the things we're talking about can be pretty fickle week to week, then I think Denver will be able to be victorious. But I'm going to guess that the Lions right the ship here. I, I just trust the coaching. I think that this team has done a good job of when a weakness gets exposed, how do we correct it? How do we work around it? They weren't afraid to pull the trigger and get some guys out of the lineup this past week. They're searching a little bit. I think they can figure it out for all the talk about Denver. I'm not trying to get the fan base route up in me, but they are still kind of a middling team. If you look at any analytic, like offensively, they're like, yeah, they're, they've been pretty average all season. That's kind of what they are. The, the explosives help keep things alive. But they, but like you said, it's not been like a consistent every drive. They're just taking people apart approach. So I think if the Lions defense can hang in there, I'm actually not that worried about their offense overall. I just yeah. think it's a question of if their defense can hang in there. I think they're just running out of dudes to your point. I, I'm glad you took yeah. the time to like talk about all the injuries on that side of the ball. Like I, I know that I, I think Aaron Glenn is probably one of the more maligned coordinators right now. Fan, like he, you know, when you, um, well, I think in his own division, Joe Barry's probably got him beat, but, uh, <laughs> rightfully so. I, yeah, but like the, it's he is really up against it from a personnel perspective. Um, but I think the offense will be fine. I agree with you. I think that they'll be better. So that offensive line is too talented. And, you know, when they're healthy, I think um, even against a, a surprisingly good uh, Denver pass rush, I think we'll see a better game out of them. Um, all right. So from snacks to the main course, let's do Cowboys bills now. Big you game. texted me about this one, so I know you were really excited that this game was about to happen. <laughs> I got a question from first take. Who needs it more? I'm like, probably the team that's on the verge of elimination. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to go with Bills needing it more. Uh, tough. Tough matchup for both defenses. Shootout potential, in my opinion. Um Let's start with the, I, I mean, the Bills offense versus the Cowboys defense is the more, I, I think, the more even match. I mean, the Bills defense has actually played way better over the last few weeks than I think yeah. I thought after, you know, losing Milano and Tredavious White. But the, you know, Cowboys defense is still one of the better units in the NFL. So we've seen sort of a different, I, I, the Bills offense has evolved under Joe Brady more likely to run the ball. They're more likely to use James Cook in the passing game. Uh, oh, Dawson Knox is back. You saw them bring back a little bit of that 12 personnel that they had with him and Kincaid. Mm-hmm. Allen is rushing more, which I that to me is less about, I don't know, but that that's, that's just what Josh Allen does in December. He carries the football. It is their uh, breaking case of emergency. Do you think that there's weaknesses on this Bills or Cowboys defense that they're suited to exploit? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I don't know if personnel-wise, I would uh, I would have pointed to their safeties many times over the past years, but it just doesn't seem like it's ever true. Like I'm always like, man, these safeties, you got to attack them, and then you play the game, and it's just like, wow, they're good. Like I don't know what to say. Like yeah. they always seem to find their way within the context of the game. And same thing at corner, they just plug. Deron Bland in and he's doing the same thing Diggs did. And so it, it is kind of a, unbelievable what Dan Quinn's been able to do. It's I hesitate to call any player a, a weakness or a liability on their unit just because of how Dan Quinn has gotten those guys to be able to play at a pretty high level. The Bills just unpredictability right now is playing in their favor. Like you could see it in the Chiefs mm. game. They they were like, hold on a second, you're throwing to running backs and not just in the flat and in checkdowns. Yeah. Like, 
designed routes. Like he, what your running backs going vertical from the backfield. Like, and they were just like, you could see it was just confusion. And so that kind of the coordinator change, you know, bump kind of is played in the bill's favor. Is it Hmm. long-term sustainable? We need a larger sample size to know, but to me, that's probably the biggest, if you're a Cowboys defense, it's just like, you can't prepare for them the same way you prepared for a Philadelphia that you play every year or a Cal Shannon that you play every year. You know, like you, those are those are different animals. You kind of know somewhat, although Shannon's uh, an enigma himself, like what to expect, uh, you know, in those matchups. Buffalo, I think there's just a level of a lack of you're not really sure what's going on here yet in terms of how they're <laughs> going to do. I mean, they called quarterback power on the goal line against the a zero blitz look and they, they just didn't they didn't come out of the play mina they just were like we're, we're running it and he gets hit and then gets in the end zone because the whole team pushed him across so you just have no idea what the bills are doing right now on offense i think it's the unpredictability that makes them dangerous it's amazing they haven't called that more i was thinking that when i watched josh allen mm-hmm. uh just you know terminator him what his way uh in short yardage uh i think though that's what makes them so un the coordinator changes it's a really good point i i what the one thing that really impressed me um in the win against the chiefs was that if you had told me that the chiefs would effectively blank stefan diggs and gabe davis didn't have a single catch i probably yes. would have said the bills have lost this football game and they didn't because of all the other things we've been talking about that they did with cooks and the qb run and all of that and the tight ends and i kind of think the same thing might happen against Dallas, um, especially now. Like, well, that, I'm, let me revise that. I'm not sure Stefan Gilmore, who was fantastic uh, last week against Philadelphia, even though he gave up a fair amount of yards to AJ Brown, which it's AJ Brown, he's still so savvy and physical. You know, he made some game changing plays. Obviously, the punch out tackled uh, Devontae Smith and fourth down. Um, so I guess my feeling is like, if, if, they have Gilmore travel on Diggs again, which is what it seems like they've been doing with him now more that Trevon Diggs, his brother, is out. Mm-hmm. Um, Allen will go to his left hand. It's like, okay, you're going to take put my right hand behind my back. All right, mm-hmm. we will attack you with our tight ends. We will attack you with our backs. We will attack you with me, Josh Allen, being a Terminator and using his legs. The biggest matchup advantage that Dallas has on that side of the ball is their pass rush against this Bills offensive line. But that advantage is mitigated a lot by the fact that Josh Allen is the best quarterback in the NFL when pressured right now. Lamar mm-hmm. Jackson in him, probably neck and neck. But like I um when you pull up like QB splits, pressured and unpressured, every quarterback is significantly worse except for Josh Allen. It's insane. Like, it's insane. It's insane. What, what he's able to do against pressure is insane. And I think that presents some problems for uh, Dallas, as good as they are up front. No doubt. I mean, it's. I think containing the pocket is a big reason why, because Josh Allen is so, so quick to break contain and to get out of structure and feel so comfortable and make so many plays. Um, and, I mean, you saw the, the fadeaway jumper that he threw falling out of bounds on the sideline. What do you, you know, do? it's just crazy. Like, how do you defend something like that? The other thing they have to just be really conscious of is just, I mean, Dallas, they can't blitz him. Like he has been blitzed this season on like 34% of his dropbacks and he's just absolutely cooking 
blitzes this season. It's the, it's the, it's the Matt Stafford situation, right? But, but this guy has legs too. So he can beat you in multiple ways. So that's the thing Dallas has to make sure that they're being conscious of is just like knowing what his strengths are. Being able to contain him is almost. a 32% blitz rate basically this season per pro football reference. And so this is a team that will send pressure. They're just able to rely on four. And the other thing is they need to be very careful with the games that they run because while they're effective and the Dallas is maybe the best team in the league yeah. because of, of Micah Parsons at running those, if they run a bunch up front, Allen is going to break that contain. He'll anticipate them and get outside before they can get home. So that I would be just concerned about keeping him in the pocket if I was Dallas more so than let's try and do everything we can to get in there and rattle them because it's not going to that, happen. That's really a good point uh, about the Dallas pass rush and the risk of being over-aggressive in trying to get north-south against Allen. You it, you have to change the way you rush the quarterback. I mean, I, I think that they have, I think, uh, not this year so much, but last year against Jalen Hurts, you saw like that they're, they're able to change it up and I think um, come in with like a disciplined plan against a quarterback like that. Um, but it really starts up front because, you know, if, if he gets to the second level, I think that's where suddenly the advantage evaporates. I, I like the, this uh, Buffalo team against these Cowboys linebackers a lot, although they'll probably counter them with a fair amount of, um, you know, they'll have their DBs on the field a lot because they're so good at tackling. But, yeah, it's it's a challenge, man. Josh, like, it's crazy that they're, what, seven and six? Because yeah. they're just so not a seven and six team. It's just so yeah. not a seven and six offense. I think that I saw they have the third best point differential in the AFC. They have a plus one oh four point differential, wow. which is crazy for a, a team with that record. For comparison, yeah. uh your Pittsburgh Steelers are like negative forty <laughs> and they're seven. I thought you were gonna leave it alone, Mina. <laughs> seven and six, same record. Uh it's it's yeah. wins and losses. <laughs> <laughs> Two very teams misleading play different sports, I would say. Um on the other side of the ball, I, I do think the Bills' defense has played pretty well in recent weeks. However, since week six, so the week after Milano went down on passes to the middle of the field, they are 30th in success rate, allowing a passer rating of 123, which is the second worst in the NFL. Well, there's a quarterback in Dallas who really <laughs> likes throwing to the middle of the field, John. Uh, don't love that matchup for this Bills defense. It's, I mean, especially given what we've seen from Dallas in terms of Dak attacking that, not just by throwing to CeeDee Lamb, but now Jake Ferguson and Brandon Cooks as well. Yeah, it's harder and harder <laughs> to find a way to feel like you have a thing against this Cowboys yeah. offense, right? Like early on in the season, it was like, okay, they're not even using Brandon Cooks. There's no explosives. Yeah. Like they're not really stretching the field. The ADOT's low. Like, okay, I know they're okay, but like, can they add another element? And they, But then this recent stretch they've been on, I mean, they're fourth now, up to fourth in the NFL this season in 20-plus yard pass plays. 53% of their drives mean to end in a score. 53, right. that's 8% percentile points better than the team in second place. It's not even close. So when they get the ball and then they hardly ever turn it over, that was the big thing last year. It was like, yeah. they had all these, they had to expose. They were a good offense in some ways, but they turned it over all the time. And, and some of that was just like, we talked about luck, like, right. 7.6% of their drives end in a turnover these days and this season. And that's third best in the NFL. 
They're third in EPA per play. There's it's hard to find like a weakness to them in the passing attack right now because everybody's going Jake Ferguson down the seam, Lamb on every route under the sun, Cooks you have going vertically. They can attack you with big plays horizontally or vertically down the field. They have a lot going for them right now. The run game, it's middling, but I just think right now, and the other thing that gets lost in all this. The DAC for MVP conversation, Ollie Connell and I just talked about this on our podcast. So if some people are in it twice, you get double dose of it. But we we just feel strongly about the DAC for Prescott for MVP because not only is he doing this, but he is also in full command at the line of scrimmage before yeah. the ball is snapped all the time. So we are talking about a guy who is like a supercomputer before the ball is snapped, is changing full plays and just has complete control mentally and then also obviously the physical stuff. So he is just doing it at such a high level. I, even if the Bills were at fully health, it's hard to just envision yeah. how you slow down this offense without getting a couple breaks. And that mental stuff um, matters a lot against this defense because of the amount of disguise that they use on the back end, constantly changing post-snap the picture that they present to quarterbacks in coverage. But Dak Prescott's not a quarterback. You can easily fool um, with those those looks. Yeah, I, I feel like the best case for Buffalo is a shootout, frankly, which totally possible given the way Josh Allen is playing football. Um, I, I, I like the fact that Mike McCarthy has been so aggressive this year with Dak, and I think in a game like this where, um, like I said, there is shootout potential, that could be the difference. I'll throw out I, I, one other thing I want to mention because I haven't mentioned this at all with Dallas, but as we start looking ahead to the playoffs and thinking through how complete these teams are, they have the best kicker in the NFL, maybe? <laughs> I mean, my fantasy team. <laughs> Yo, like, I, I never talk about the. I mean, we talk about, I talk about Justin Tucker sometimes. Uh, and, of course, my guy, Young Hui Koo. But Brandon Aubrey, 30 for 30, or maybe that was, maybe that's gone up since I can't remember. No, it was the Eagles game is when he kicked when he, he banged in like the 59 and 60 yarder. And yeah. those those kicks were perfect. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that matters when you're talking about games like this that are between two elite offenses, like mm -hmm. it's a great point. Yeah. I didn't realize he's eight for eight on 50 plus yard kicks. That escaped me. I, I know they said he was perfect. I didn't realize he'd had that many from 50 plus. I mean, it's it's wild what he's doing. Um, it's obviously we know how the nature of kicker, as you mentioned, too. He missed two fifty plus yarders last year, last week. I was like, what? Did, where did this miss come from? But still, you're right. Like, no doubt, having that as a weapon, especially because that's been a question mark for the Cowboys at yes. other times. Over, I don't remember the exact years, but I know kicker's been a question mark Mar for them. It feels like that. everything's falling into place for the first time for Dak in Dallas. Like there's always been something that was just off. Mm -hmm. Like did Kellen Moore and McCarthy hate each other? Who's the other wide receivers? Like Gallup gets hurt and the offensive lines in shambles last year. And you know, there's always feels like it's been something D Dak's playing the best ball of his career. He breaks his ankle. Like, you know what I mean? So yeah, it feels like it's all falling in place for him this year. And he's responding by having the best season of his career. I'm going to take the Cowboys uh, mostly because I think that the Bills defense is due for a little bit of a letdown game. However, backs against the walls, Josh Allen playing out of his mind. I don't think it's going to be easy, but I, but I'm going to take Dallas. How about you? I will also, I need to disagree with you on some of these, but I definitely, I just think I'm riding high on Dallas right now. And this is one of those things that over the years, it's like, well, as soon as Dallas gets up, you have early this year, they lost to the Cardinals. And I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm done. But then I watch them this week, this year. And I'm like, they're just putting it together. Like at a really Juggernaut. high level. This Absolutely could go either Juggernaut. way though. I mean, the bills yeah. are awesome. Like the bills are way better than the record. 
in some ways, I like just selfishly from a football standpoint, I'd like to see them win just to get into the like ensure they're in the playoffs yes. rather than a team that can't play. Um, yeah. So that's why. I pro- but I would. I'd still think Dallas. I just think they're a better team right now. I would much rather watch Josh Allen than some of the other quarterbacks who I will not name who are who are on teams that are in the hunt. Uh, okay, let's take a quick break. Come back and let's let's talk about your bucks. Let's let's rip the bandaid. Bucks time. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesar's Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesar's Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OmahaFull and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling one 800 Gambler, that's 1-800-426-2537, or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. The Bucks are playing the Packers. Must win. 
the Bucks division leading, right? Tampa yes. Bay. Oh, you're correct. <laughs> I don't even I don't, I don't even know who I would who I'd want to win that division right now. <laughs> Or who I think should. I don't even like if you ask me. Tampa Bay still, right? Like, isn't it? I mean, if you're just talking about playoff, like Baker Mayfield just has the gamer aspect. He's led a couple late drives this season to get. A, I don't know. I'm I'm making a pitch for him. I'm I covered this team for a couple of years, and I feel like yeah, organizationally, I would do. You, do you want to see the Saints rewarded, Mina? Do you want to see them rewarded for abusing the salary cap this way for going on and Derek Carr? Well, this is what you want. <laughs> here's a. Let's start here. I can't believe I'm saying this, but Baker Mayfield's probably the best quarterback in the division. (laughs) And he he probably, if they don't win that, if they don't pull off those last couple plays against Atlanta, probably gets probably gets benched. Not benched because of him, but just because they're probably turning the page to Kyle Trask. They're all constantly on the precipice of being benched or have been benched, or I don't know. The Bucks 18th uh, passing DVOA, 26 in rushing. However, I did watch them against the Falcons. I do feel like Rashad White is a good football player, mm-hmm. uh, both as a as a back and as a pass catcher, especially. Right. And it feels like he it's the run game, which was pretty dismal at the beginning of the season. It doesn't look as bad as it did early on. Oh, definitely not. No, they are yeah, like you said, twenty six and rush EPA, I believe too. Uh, the, but they are clearly determined to run. So we gotta we gotta look at it. And Canal said, the other Dave Canal's offense coordinator said. Early in the year, he said, we're going to run the football. And from Seattle, we did this, and it took us a while to get it right. Like, But we stuck with it, and, and it did improved. We, did yeah, I know. get it right? Did Seattle <laughs> did get it right, Dave? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Good question. I'm not mad. But in, yeah. <laughs> in the five games since week 10, the Bucks are 17th in rush EPA. So it is better. They are not the worst team in the league. Uh, running the football anymore they definitely were before that so um things are improving they've had a couple hundred yard games they have stuck with it um when they run sometimes is really questionable like two minute situations and it's like they go run run pass and i'm like what is that is the part canalis is really figuring out still but conceptually what he's done is he's taken a run game that at the beginning he said, we're going to go inside zone. We're going to go split zone. We're going to pound the ball between the tackles. Now he said, let's go gap and power. And that is really played to white strengths. You mentioned seeing him shine more. Now they are using pullers and they're running counter. I mean, at the end of the game last week there, you saw counter a couple times on that game winning drive and the drive before that against Atlanta, they ran for in the fourth quarter, I believe 74 yards. I think they had 71 all game before that, something like that. And so they really have said, okay, now we're going to play. He has changed things to play to the strengths of his players really well, which I think is good. White, if you watch him in zone concepts, it does not happen for him as naturally. If you watch him when he has to just follow this lead blocker and move off of his block, it's way easier for him. And so he's played to his player strengths. He's gone more 11 personnel to run the ball. He's lightened the box. It has helped tremendously. The offensive line is growing and getting better. They're already a very good pass protection unit. So There are a lot of reasons to be optimistic and excited about Tampa Bay. I think a lot of the growing pains this season have been who's the quarterback going to be in Baker's up and down play. The offensive coordinator and just play calling play sequencing has been an adventure. And then the defense, the injuries are part of it, but also I'm way more concerned about that side of the ball. We'll get to that side. Let's stick with the offense for a second. I I do think the run game, as you described it, especially leaning more on gap concepts, will have success against a Packers defensive line. And you know, front generally does just that can be pushed around and um, plays the run in a way where I think actually those concepts will be more successful. We've seen defense offenses have success 
against this Packers front doing that. Um, I have trouble trying to forecast how this Bucks offense will perform ever because of Baker's inconsistency. Like, you know, he sometimes, some of the throws he makes are, I would put up with any quarterback in the league that, you know, on a week to week basis at, to all parts of the field. The problem is just, you don't know when they're going to happen and when, when he's going to sail it or just totally miss a dude. And I think um, like there, you know, there are, there are certainly matchup advantages between these Bucks wide receivers and these Packers DBs, no doubt. But can I trust the quarterback to deliver the ball effectively? Like, I feel like they're probably going to go heavy play action in this one. I think he'll have time. I think guys will get open. But again, it's just, I, uh, it's just hard for me to project what you're going to see from Mayfield on any given Sunday. Yeah, I mean, one of the big, big, big issues is the fact that the Bucks can't hit explosive plays down the field at a high rate. They they try them. They try to. Canals draws them up. They're there a lot of the time. This season, Baker has tried to hit them. I mean, they're almost 14% of his attempts are 20-plus air yard throws. He just hasn't been able to hit them like, with accuracy this season. And, and there's been a couple drops for sure, but he is a 23.7% adjusted completion percentage on throws of 20 yards or more. And that's mm. almost 14% of his of his attempts this season. That's just not good enough. Like when you're an offense that is rebuilding in the offensive line, although they're good and you don't run the ball that well, though it's getting better, you have to be able to hit explosives. You're not going to be able to string plays all the way down the field. So when you couple all the issues, it's kind of like if you look at their numbers, it's like Mike Evans having a great year. Godwin's still here. Trey Palmer's flash is a rookie. Kate Otten's been good in the red zone. But like when on a consistent basis, like the drives they hit, it's like it's great. But it doesn't all come together at once that often throughout a game because there's still fractures of everything that isn't working. If they could just hit some of these explosives that are there, then they would be a different offense. Like that would account for a touchdown or two every game because they haven't been able to hit those. I mean, everybody looks at the Lions game and they're like, oh, they were going to lose that game no matter what. If you watch the tape of that game, there's guys open down the field all yeah. game long and Baker could not hit them. And the Lions got exposed. Like I think it was a week after that against Baltimore for having the same issues, the ones we just talked about with them. And so there's something here to what Canals is doing but if he can figure out the play sequencing and play calling and Baker can figure out to hit some of those plays, there's big plays to be had against a, a defense in Green Bay. And we're going to talk about both these defenses, but the Packers, it, it hasn't been actually as bad against the pass as it has been against the run. But right now they're 30th and explosive plays given up. That'd be yeah. 10 plus yard runs and 20 plus yard passes this season. They've allowed 84 of those 30th in the NFL. So what? they give up big plays left and right. The Bucks have to take advantage and hit them. It I did like I don't think there's anyone who can hang with Mike Evans downfield, but again, yeah, yeah. You, you spelled it out. I don't trust Baker to throw it to Mike Evans. So uh yeah, it's hard for me to confidently predict the Bucks having offensive success against any unit because of the inconsistency. But again, I I do want to stress there are drives where he looks really good. Like I it's not like um when you watch Mayfield. It isn't like you're watching like, oh, this is one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. He can't do anything. This offense is non-functional. I, I think, like I said, I, at the very beginning, when we started talking about this, he might be the best quarterback in the division, which is crazy. But it's just the down-to-down -down consistency that is just not there. And that yeah. is what you need from a starting quarterback in the NFL. It's why they probably have to move on from him after this season. But And two um, things scare me too, Mina, with him. The numbers, turnover-worthy plays. Yeah. early in the year he wasn't he wasn't making those plays 
he's he's starting to make more of them. And last week, you know, he did avoid that against Atlanta, and Ritter didn't, and that ended up being the difference. But over the past five games this season, he's got nine turnover-worthy plays. He only has 17 in the whole season. So he stayed away from those in the first couple games of the year, the first stretch half of the year, really. Now those are starting to creep back up. And the other thing is his play under pressure. He was escaping at an unbelievable and unsustainable rate throughout the first five or six weeks of the season. It was almost crazy to watch him. It was like, who is this guy? Because that was a part of his game in college, not really the NFL. Those numbers have kind of regressed back now at this point. So mm-hmm. that's a concern too. So on the other side of the ball, um, I think that this Bucks defense – that there's really a lot of similarities between the offense and the defense and that. And I think we probably, if you went back to our uh, division preview, it is kind of played out like we expected, which is there's still really good players on this team. Uh, they're just not, it's almost like uh, I would say if the offense, the quarterback is the issue to my eye, the defense, the pass rush is just not good enough. They don't have an elite pass rusher. So while there's still good players that, the def- the interior of the defensive line with Bay and when he's healthy and can't see amazing. Um, David's still a good player. Anton Winfield's like quietly having like one of the best seasons in the NFL right now. And nobody's talking about it because of the team he's on. But I don't think this pass rush should scare a team like green Bay that has a good offensive line. Yeah, I agree. And it's the biggest reason why it's hard to pick the bucks in this game because you know, Jordan Love this season has been – the explosives that Baker hasn't hit, he's hit this season. He's been a great deep ball passer. And so there's that element of the, of this of this matchup because the Bucks, nobody in the league – actually, only Washington, I believe, has given up more – they've given up 54. That's a real number. 54 20-plus yard pass plays this wow. season. Tampa Bay has. Some of that's injuries in the secondary. Most yeah. of it is just every single coach they go up against knows they're the, one of the heaviest spot-dropping teams in the league. They know what kind of coverages they're going to get. And so because of that, they're able to attack what Tampa Bay does defensively um, over and over again. And so that's one of the things that I'm concerned about. And then the other part of it is if Bulls defense, if that's an issue, the only thing that can save it is the pass rush. And it just yes. hasn't this season. And that's why Bulls has always been reliant on that. You're always going to move the ball against Bulls. You're always going to be able to get into the red zone. He needs elite red zone defense, which they've had decent red zone defense. That saved them this season some. They need turnovers. They need sacks. They just haven't gotten those. When they've won games, it's almost always because they've gotten turnovers. But when they haven't been able to get those, and early in the year that was a big plus, now it's a minus. And so that's been another thing that's working against them a little bit. And, you know, Love's coming off of a game where he was inaccurate early on against New York and sort of regressed a little bit. I, Dominique and I talked about this on Tuesday. I was, I was kind of like not that alarmed by it because – I was like, look, he's a young quarterback. He had three great games and he just had bad one. Like, you know, this is what it was always going to look like. I don't really think it's it's worth hitting the panic button over. Um, generally this year, he has been pretty good against the Blitz. And uh, Matt LaFleur is good at giving him answers against the Blitz, which we know Tampa wants to do. I think like, you know, it's entirely possible. He is a little bit inconsistent early on again. That's just been sort of his MO for a lot of this season but I've seen enough good play out of him and these young players to think that they can move the ball on this defense, given some of the weaknesses we've talked about. So uh, yeah, I'm going green Bay here. Um, I think unless like, you know, Baker connects on some of those downfield shots, or I would say, unless uh, Rashad white has a big day on the ground, entirely plausible for all the reasons we talked about with this green Bay defense and some of the improvements we've seen from Tampa. But I do think, um, 
the Packers can kind of get back on track after what happened uh, against New York. Two defenses with a lot of talent, like talented individual players, although both yeah. have had injuries this season, talented individual players who I just, I'm not sure they're being coached in a way that if this era of football, mm. like what works defensively, I just don't know that they're doing those things right now. I think it could be surprisingly, like maybe not surprisingly to people, but I think it'd be a high scoring game. I think I mean both these teams have given up explosives left and right this season in the pass and in the run game. The Bucks are still been good against the run. We'll see if Vea plays. That is a big element of this, probably. I think I just trust Jordan Love a little bit more. And I know he had the 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 struggle game against the Giants a little bit. And I do think that the Bucs, you know, they blitz the third highest rate in the league. That could be a factor in this one because, like you said, Love's been pretty good against the Blitz. And we'll see what Bulls does. Uh, he's certainly blitzed quarterbacks that have been good against the Blitz before because he thinks it's gonna work anyway. And Matt Stafford beats you in the playoffs. But anyway, um, I think that that could be an element of this one that determines which way the matchup goes. Um, I just trust that the Packers are going to hit more of those explosives than the Bucs will, and I think that might be where the game's won or lost. Third highest blitz rate, 27th in pressure rate. Not a great combination in Tampa. Um, okay, Ravens-Jags. Uh, so Trevor Lawrence is, will play. He played, obviously, gutted, gutted out through the injury, had a very bad game. Uh, this last week, the offensive line was also very bad. Um, now he gets to go up against a Ravens defense that coming off of a down performance granted against what I think is actually probably a top six or seven offense in the NFL, but like in, in the Rams that, uh, I think people are kind of now waking up to how good Matthew Stafford has been this season and how, uh, good the offense as a whole, the run game and everything, but anyways, it was it was it was a a letdown game for the Baltimore Ravens. Looks like Kyle Hamilton might play in this one. He was practicing this week despite having the sore MCL. I want him to conserve all of his energy for the big uh, uh, Niners Ravens game, which is like nerd Super Bowl. But anyways, he, he's probably going to play. Um, let's start there, I guess. <sighs> Jags the offense looks so bad, man. Like. Uh, I am not terribly optimistic for improved performance against this defense. If it happens, I think it will be because Trevor Lawrence just gets the ball out really quickly and the playmakers are able to create like Evan Ingram, who was actually pretty productive. Um, The Ravens defense ranks really high in just about everything. But versus quick passes, two and a half seconds or less, which is Trevor Lawrence's whole deal, mm-hmm. uh, they're actually 25th in success rate, 20th in EPA. So it's mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's like a glaring weakness. Um, and I think some of that is by design. But if there was a formula for uh, Jacksonville, I think it would be like that, keeping Trevor upright as a result. Yeah, this is hard to figure out how Jackson – because the Ravens – they're kind of a smoke and mirrors defense pretty much like all over the place. Like the, the sim pressures and how much do you figure out pre-snap and who's coming and who's going and they don't really blitz a lot and they don't get a ton of pressure rate, but they have basically every time they get pressure, that's a sack. And so they're leading the league in sacks right now. And so it's just, I mean, they have found a way to kind of make everything work. And honestly, they kind of generate issues just by what they do before the ball snapped. And so you have to kind of, they make you kind of, adapt to them, um, which I think has yeah. been uh, one of the struggles for teams this season is worrying about what they do. 
the interesting thing about Jacksonville is that if they could find a way, and I don't know exactly how you do it because you need to hold up up front, certainly, and you'd probably need to change some of the things you do because it's not really been a big downfield explosive passing team this season. I do think that they have some personnel that could give the Ravens corner struggles, and I think they have a quarterback who can make those throws. They've been a little conservative for my liking this season, and it's irritated me at times watching them. I think I see a lot more potential to be a big explosive do some Cowboys like things, honestly, like yeah. be some of what Dallas does in their passing attack. Like I think that they would be wise to incorporate some of those things. If they would just get more aggressive, like I think the Ravens corners can be beat down the field at times, but yeah, it's just having lots of, but it, it, I just don't know that. I, I hope that they take from some of what we've seen when the Ravens have struggled and, and use some of that, because I think there's something mm-hmm. there as good as this defense is, but I'm just not totally convinced that they're going to do that or that they're going to get there in this week. So I mean, to me, like that's where they have to be able to go to offensively if they're going to win. Cause I don't think you're going to nickel and dime the Ravens down the field. Yeah. I don't think they can run on them like the Rams did, especially on that first drive where the Rams had like nine successful run- runs. That was really something. I think it, it, that was almost like it looked like the Ravens were like unprepared for them to do that in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you think about like some of the deep passing concepts that LA had success with, with, uh, Nakua and, and Cup against this. Some of them were some of there were some outright coverage busts, which was hard, you know, surprising to see. Some of it was like you said, the Ravens' corners struggling against them. You saw them go after Humphrey over and over at the end of the game. And so when you look to the Jags, like you said, you're like, okay, well, you have a quarterback who can make all the throws. You have wide receivers who are capable of beating them. Calvin Ridley, I think Christian Kirk would be really helpful in this game. But what they don't have, I think, is time i just don't think trevor lawrence will have the time to execute on some of that so i think that's just a you know this off jags offensive line is so banged up and you've got guys going in and out of the lineup um i think i saw ezra cleveland is hurt he got hurt last week so they had to put in blake hance i mean so many guys have played left tackle for them at this point and because of all the stuff that the Ravens do up front with you, you, the sim pressures, to have an uh, an offensive line that hasn't played together and is ex- inexperienced creates great major problems because uh, the, what those do is n- you know not only play on the mind of the quarterback, they play on the minds that they're fooling offensive lines, essentially getting them to block ghosts and whatnot and create unblocked pressures. And I just think, oh my God, you don't want to have that sort of offensive line situation against this defense. No, it's it's a recipe for disaster. Just communication wise, as you said, like that's it's so important to get that stuff sorted out pre-snap. And I, it's just hard to be confident that they're going to be able to do that. I, Jacksonville's been probably the one team this year. I just can't put my finger on it. Like there's times where it looks so good yeah. and you feel like they should have taken another step, like adding Calvin Ridley, this Evan Ingram's played awesome. Like it feels like they should have taken another step this year and it, they feel like almost exactly the same team and like it's a little bit frustrating because you wanted them to be a little bit something more and maybe they they hit their stride and maybe they figure some of that out here toward the end of the season you are talking about a coach that's that's been down this road he knows and doug peterson what this takes at this point in the season so i have some faith that they maybe could do that and i could get into the playoffs and be a problem right now i just it's hard for me to take them seriously as a contender given the way they play i think they're going to win the division and they'll be in the mix but i just I don't see them as a serious threat the way they've played this season so far. Especially the defense, which started out so strong, especially against the run, and has completely collapsed over the last couple of weeks. Um, What really concerns me (laughs) against this Ravens team in particular is 
uh, the play of the linebackers in Jacksonville. I mean, the last two weeks, offenses have just attacked the second level uh, and just killed them with play action. And, uh, well, Ravens, play action, uh, you know, top five in just about every metric. Uh, you have a quarterback who is not very fun to play if you're a linebacker. I just, and then a quarterback who's also like unsackable. So, you know, even like the, your best player is Josh Allen, but if there is a quarterback who I think can end the playing by an offensive line is pretty good, can negate that to some degree. This defense needs to play better football than it has for a month now to keep this competitive. Because if they play anything like they have the last couple of weeks, I feel like they don't stand a chance. Yeah, I mean, you can fill in a lot of, obviously, this is a Bulls coaching tree defense, and so you can kind of fill in a lot of the blanks with with that, like just in terms of what I said about the, the box, I feel like there's some similarities to that here. It's like they want to play a certain way, and they just don't want to change no matter what the other team does. And then if it when it works, like the games where the, the blitzes work and the pressures hit and all that stuff, and Josh Allen's free all game getting into the backfield. And like the, if it works, like it looks great, and everybody's like, man, they just terrorize that quarterback. But they're just it's it's so hit or miss depending on what the opposing offensive group does. And I just think Baltimore, the play action, being able to slow down the rush and what they do, like I think without mistakes, it's hard for me to see like a path. And, or if Jacksonville just like does something totally new, it's hard for me to see a path. Like if they just come out and just like photocopy what they've been this season, I don't really know that I see a path offensively or defensively for them to have success in this game. Baltimore's just been when they've been sharp, like it's just been like that. That part of it for them could continue just to 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 roll right over Jacksonville, given what they've offered and put on the field. Real quick before we wrap on Ravens, Jag sounds like we're both on the Ravens in this one. Yeah. How do you feel about this Ravens offense right now? Because uh, Rams-Ravens was really fun if you enjoy quarterback play, if you enjoy quarterbacks doing crazy things. Uh, but the the offense, they're, it's, they're, they're, they're kind of inconsistent in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Lost Mark Andrews, so I was kind of curious to see what that would look like. I mean, what was your takeaway? What's been your takeaway post-Mark Andrews watching this offense, watching the design of it? Do you feel like it's cohesive? Or do you feel like it's like a do you feel like it, it's too reliant on Lamar doing crazy stuff? Like what what do you generally feel watching them? Yeah, it's a good question. I honestly feel like I'm still getting a feel for it a little bit, like what they want. Like there's so many times where it looks really good. They are just like a pretty good offense, I think. I don't think they're like touching the Dallases or touching the San Franciscos this season necessarily right now. But their defense is awesome. And then their offense, you know, I feel like has like been been perfectly good this season and, and at times looked great this season too. I think the play action stuff to me is like is is where they've kind of opened up things. I think for Lamar a little bit, like the fact that he's been able to operate as efficiently as he has in those situations um, this year, I think has been a big plus. I I like the direction they're moving in. I like a lot of things. I think some of it is young receivers, and they they still had you know, their injuries and stuff. And I think figuring out some of that stuff is going to take time. But overall, I like the direction they're moving in. I don't have any like major issues with them at this point in time. I think if they can. They're another one that I think if they could find a way to hit some more of these deep balls and some more of these explosives, drops have been a big part of the issue at times, certain games this season too. Some of that, I just think, has to come together. They don't have like that proven star outside of Lamar on offense, like where there's yeah. this ace connection between him and somebody else. Andrews especially being hurt, as you said, 
And Andrews has had his drop issues this season when he was healthy too. So some of it I think is just new players learning to play together in a new system. And I think you're going to see some of that come out. Are they the favorite in the AFC though? That's the big question. Cause I think ordinarily you'd think of an offense better than this, but this year they might still be the favorite. I mean, they have an elite defense, so that certainly helps. I I do think that that question, are they the favorite? Is this a Super Bowl team? Can the offense um, reach its potential might depend on whether or not his connection with Zay Flowers continues to develop and becomes sort of automatic because this was my takeaway kind of watching them. The offense goes through him now. Like he is clearly the number one. And what's interesting is like when they drafted him, I love the player, Boston College, you know, he's so fun, so twitchy, creative, uh, great route. He's like very precise with his routes. Um, but I thought, you know, he's at least five foot nine. He's going to be like a downfield guy and maybe like on like jet sweeps and stuff. Dude, mm-hmm. he's their chains mover. <laughs> like yeah. he is. And a lot of that is because defenses play him so soft. So it's just like, okay, like we'll uh, convert on like seven, eight yard hitches over and over if that's what you give to us, which has not existed in this offense before as an option for Lamar. I actually looked this up um, for NFL Live the other day because I was curious. He, amongst t- receivers, was like a decent target volume. He gets the biggest cushion of any player in the NFL right now. It's over seven yards. Wow. Uh, and and that's not from the slot. Like, again, that's another thing. Like, they line him up. He's mostly out wide in this yeah. offense. Um, so I think for to kind of bring it back to sort of the ceiling here, he had a couple drops last week. He also obviously had the great the touchdown catch, the two-point play. You know, he is their he is their guy. If he can also be, uh consistently be on the end of explosives for Lamar, especially off of play action, I think that's when I'll look at this offense and say, okay, you've got your number one wide receiver. You've obviously got a dynamic run game. This is like a Super Bowl caliber unit. And of course you have the Lamar Jackson, who's amazing. Yeah. And that's the thing Lamar has that, that like other quarterbacks don't have. Like Lamar being this like middle of the field. He loves to play between the numbers, right? Like he's always been there, even in college, like that he loved to be play between the numbers as a passer. And what that does that while that can be sometimes you have to teach quarterbacks to play there. And then yeah. and he his was almost backwards. Like he he could play there from from day one. Um he can anticipate zones and throw into zones and newer defenders are moving all that kind of stuff. He was good there. It's on the outsides where like sometimes it's falling apart for him, especially the deep ball. But like to offset that, like I think sometimes like they don't hit those explosives. He's been able to make them with their legs. So in some ways, like we talked about the situation with Goff, where it's like I don't know if they can hit those explosives outside the numbers like consistently. Even if Lamar can't, like, you just have another added element. Even if that doesn't have become a consistent part of what they do offensively, you have a totally another added mm-hmm. element to him with his legs and his escapability that I feel like we've almost become too accustomed to at this point that we don't oh, celebrate totally. enough. It's just. Dude, it's just such an X factor. Some of the plays he made with his legs against Los Angeles, both inside and out of the pocket. I was like, if this is, I know it's the, the meme is if Patrick Mahomes, but like, well, I guess the meme with Patrick Mahomes is like, if Patrick Mahomes did it, we were talking about it. I feel like that there should be like a meme where like Lamar Jackson is doing this. or so we're not talking about it enough. Like it's so, yeah. he the just like the way he, he, he moves so unbotheredly. Uh, that's not a word. That's a, I didn't use that correctly, but like it, he looks like so unafraid of being contacted when he moves. Oh, yeah. And it, it's totally because of his 
movement abilities, but also he has this like weird spidey sense with space and content. I don't know. It's surreal mm-hmm. watching it. Like it's just, it's next level. Um, so yeah, obviously a lot more Ravens talk coming down the pipe, but uh, Jacksonville, I, I don't want to sound hopeless because I do think I, I just, I worry about the injuries. I just, the defense needs to play a lot better. Um, let's wrap with the Monday night game. Eagle Seahawks uh, feels like, the Seahawks need to win this. Although actually if they lose, I think the last few games are winnable and Packers just lost. So I don't know, but whatever the Eagles don't need to, but God, it feels like they have to, because this is like the stem. This feels like the get right game. And I think it can be for the offense. Um, Have talked a lot about the Eagles offensive struggles, which have been kind of interesting. I think because it's still like an efficient offense is what makes it interesting. It's not just like an offense where you can point to and say like, Oh, they don't run the ball anymore. Or they don't like, they still do a lot of things at a fairly high level. It's just not, uh, it doesn't feel the same way it did last year. And I think um, it's been interesting to diagnose why I don't know if any of that is even worth getting into against the Seahawks defense, because I don't think it's going to get them a lot of problems, John. Like, I, I mean, what do you think? Like, I, I just feel like the Eagles have too many weapons and there are too many options for them against a CS defense that's been absolutely atrocious over the last few weeks. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, not to keep referencing, but Ollie and I, Ollie brought this up, so I want to give him credit for it. But one of the things he keeps referencing is like, is the fact that the Eagles aren't doing a lot of the things that they've done in the past, like that were, that were staples of what they did last year that were really successful for them. The teams couldn't stop and yet they're not doing them as much this year. So like, why is that sometimes the route trees for we, we, everybody finally was, I think alerted to it after AJ Brown's looking at his route tree from the other night. It's like, why, why are they doing more with AJ Brown? Um, you know, where some of this, this guy should be an inbreaker King for you as a route runner. And they're just not using him that way consistently. It's, some some of that stuff is odd. I feel like if the Eagles got out of their own way, they could find their way back into the mix a little bit, uh, but they really haven't done that. And they're also just not quite the same rushing team, especially in first down that they've been um, at other points uh, throughout the time that they've been they've been really good last year, I guess. Um, so all of those things are are factors in this. Like whereas I think the Eagles, if they play sequenced a little better, use their players a little better, Dallas Goddard coming back is huge for them. They don't have a third guy when he's out really at all, basically. And so, and plus what he gives them blocker formationally versatility like there's just he does a lot of things that don't show up in the box score for Mm -hmm. them so him coming back uh, i think will be really big for them so this is an opportunity to move in a better direction for philadelphia for sure um i think this could be like i said any game could kind of be a good get right game for them because a lot of what they're doing is self-inflicted in my opinion and if they were kind of like give a good self-assessment review they could be like oh we, we can go back to this or this like we did these things in the past and you know these were really really effective for us I think if they can do that, they can hang with maybe anybody. We'll talk about the defense maybe, but um, I, I offensively, I think they can get right back on track um, because they are still a really good group and they're good up front. And Hertz has actually played pretty good ball despite the fact that I don't think the route concepts have been as friendly to him as it was last year. Um, so I think the pieces are still there for Philly to be really good on offense. It, it just kind of comes from them self-assessing. I think if they can do that, yeah, I don't think Seattle's built to be able to stop them. Well, it, the Hurts thing is interesting because y- you're right. He has played pretty good. But like he he he's still he's throwing the ball well. I was thinking about that watching um, last week against Dallas. Like you know, he still throws like a, a nice deep ball. I mean, I, I think. Um, oh yeah. I think the problem is to your point. 
there's, you know, his, his struggles as a runner this year is something I've talked about a lot or the, the decline in performance there. And I think that really affects a lot of the other things they do. Um, you know, when you talk about they're not doing some of the stuff they did last year, I assume that includes like the RPM RPO menu to the same degree. And I do wonder how much of that is affected by his inefficacy yeah, as a runner, right? Because, yeah. um, you know, I mean, just every – we oh – God, going to the Super Bowl last year, we said – we did so many segments on NFL Live trying to figure out how do you stop this RPO attack because of what the optionality at hand. And then, of course, when you do throw the RPO, you're throwing it to A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, who are just unbelievable – but when you take out Hertz out of the equation as a real threat to keep and or, and it becomes like for defenses, that's the outcome you want. Um, you know, you don't you're not in a, at a numerical disadvantage the way you were before mm-hmm. to that same degree. I wonder how much harder it is for Philadelphia to sort of not like do the same stuff that they did last year, basically yeah. with so much success. Yeah, it is a good question. It's a valid question. We may not totally know, um, you know, from our perspective, you know, where we're at to, to our vantage point. But yeah, I mean, it is a good question. It is a good thing to wonder about. I mean, because like you said, a lot of the things that when they do them, like Jalen Hurts, you said the deep ball, like he's he's hit, you know, 22, 23, those things this year. Like they've still had that explosive element to their offense in the vertical passing game. You know, he's one of the most accurate quarterbacks down the field in the NFL. He can throw intermediate um, and with great success as well. But yeah, the declining in the rushing. And then the other thing that's interesting to me when I look at his performance this season is the time to throw. Uh, he, what was the big question mark with him, right? We came out of that playoff loss to the Bucks in 2021. Fuck, yeah. And there were legitimate questions. Is this the guy? like long-term for this team. Like, can he be, and he was going to get another chance. The question was, can he speed everything up in the pocket? Like, can he play faster? He's always going to be, I mean, Lamar's over three seconds every year time to throw. Like some guys can play that way, but for him, it felt like he needed to be more of an on-schedule passer. Last year, it all came together, right? He's he's 2.86 seconds to throw last year. For him, that was easily the best of his career. He was seeing the field well. The concepts were right there for him all the time. You mentioned the RPO game this year. A lot of the stuff they're doing, he's backed at 3.18, same same uh, mm. time to throw that he was in 2021. I don't think it's because Jalen Hurts can't see the field well. He is a very intelligent quarterback. It's probably the biggest mark in his favor, I would say. I think it's because the route concepts aren't as friendly to him as they've been in the past. I think they're mm. not getting people open to the same degree they've gotten in the past. I think if they can fix that, if they can look at that part of it, he can go right back to being as effective as he is. Because big time throws, like he's at the highest rate of his career, like he's He's throwing the ball great this year. It's just yeah. a matter of can you give him something to throw to because he's not putting the ball in harm's way, but now he's holding the ball. He's under more pressure. He's taking more sacks. All those things are kind of adding up for him right now. Yeah, we, we on Monday talked about this. I know Ben Solex talked about it as well, like the struggles on first down in particular. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, the numbers are way – I mean, they're one of the worst offenses in the NFL throwing the ball on first down, which is crazy. Like – if you're an offense that's a threat to run and run the way they do, you should be a machine throwing the ball on first down. Like that should be a gimme because of the way uh, defenses have to play you to account for the run. But they're 27th in EPA per play when they throw the ball on first down. Um, and on live, we talked about um, that the average depth of target being so, so high 
on again, first down and maybe being a bit too boomer bust. I would say another thing, and I think this cuts to the point you just made is it, he seems, I don't know if it's like, I guess a reluctance or design or both, but it's like Devontae and AJ are bust on first mm-hmm. down. I mean, on first down, 60% of his targets are going to those two receivers, which is up from 47% last year. That might not sound like a difference, but that's a big difference. So going into this game against Seahawks defense, that's very weak up the spine. I would make a real concerted effort to get Dallas Goddard going and to potentially use those two receivers in different ways to get easier completions for them. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and you know, we spent a lot of time talking about the quarterbacks and coaches, and rightfully so. But I also think like Devontae Smith can be better. I think yeah. too than he's been. Well, like, but, I, but that that's the thing. Like, if if sixty percent is AJ or, or Devontae, and one of them has a bad game, yeah, Devontae had a bad game against right. Dallas. He's a great player, but he had a bad game. Sorry, yeah, to, and, just got me and his game's never going to be like moss and people contested catches and everything. Right. But he's nine to twenty-two in contested catch situations, and a lot of tough catch opportunities for him have gone by the wayside this year, I think. Um, He is not doing anything after the catch this year. He was at 5.1 yards after the catch last season. is a good number for him. He's down to 3.3 this year. He's only forced five missed tackles. So he's not really making as many tough catches, and he's not really doing anything with the ball in his hands this year. He's still obviously a good player, and he is stretching the field for sure as well still this year. But there's some elements to the wide receiver game. Like Again, it's like you said, if you're – if these are only two things and now Goddard comes back and we'll see what that adds. These are only two guys. Then you kind of need them to be more dynamic than they've been. And his numbers just kind of across the board are down compared to last year. So good football player. But if this is going to be all you get from him, then having another piece is really pretty important to being able to produce offensively. Yeah. I think Seattle's best shot on that side of the ball is probably going to be either to tempt Jalen hurts to push the ball downfield um, and take lower percentage shots as we've been discussing uh, or, you know, get after him with the pass rush, which has been, it's not great. It's certainly not worth, you know, like, I mean, Leonard Williams has actually been like really good, but it doesn't really matter. But um, I think if, especially on that interior where they actually are pretty good uh, with him and, and Jones, I think if they can force Jalen hurts out of the pocket and, um, you know, potentially take away some of the easier options. They could get some three and outs here and there. I'm not super optimistic on that side of the ball. However, I think Seattle's a chance because I do think this offense can move the ball on uh, Philadelphia's defense if G- if Geno Smith is, is is playing quarterback, which I don't know what the latest is with him. I, I think I saw. Um, I mean, there's a bunch of stories about like, oh, if it's Drew Lock, we could still win. Uh, I don't think that's true. Uh, I do think Geno Smith will play in this game, and if he doesn't, you can just ignore what I'm about to say here about the offense um but this is a defense that whose weaknesses have pretty well documented at this point um they're it's a the personnel is just not great uh and the pass rush is the strength of the team but the pass rush is not elite and then behind that pass rush there are just a lot of areas uh, that you can attack that i think seattle is well positioned to attack they're the worst defense in the nfl against tight ends the second worst defense, I think, against number two wide receivers. Seattle has both of those things in spades. Yeah. So I, I, I really think that Seattle can can move the ball on offense and get some explosives as well. 
I very much agree. Um, Seattle best or second best, second best uh, team in the NFL. I think EPA per play on first down. We talked about all the mm. the third third best EPA per play on first down. They've been the first down kings. I feel like uh, of since uh, or at least with Waldron, I feel like they've been good in that department. So they are doing excellent stuff on first down, kind of the anti Philly um, in that way. Mm. Um, and and they can find explosives too. Like that's the encouraging thing. Obviously, we're talking about all this if Geno Smith's out there and Drew Locke's not making. Four or turnover worthy plays each game. But I think if Geno Smith's out there, um, then I think they can do those kinds of things. The probably the least disgusting nationally, at least from what I digest, is the fact that Philly's corners, who are so heralded last year and rightfully so, just haven't been those guys this year. Like, and that's a big factor in how they play defense those guys not being able to hold up and slay has kind of done this his whole career and there's stretches of his career where he's the best corner in the league like there's he's just the best in the league he's locked in he's the best in the league and then there's stretches where it goes he's kind of like a cornerback's life in a microcosm is his whole career has been that way like where he's been oh he's unbelievable he's not very good he's unbelievable he's not very good and it's kind of like that's his seesaw basically that he's been in and bradbury has really struggled Seattle's got some matchups they can win in this game yes. offensively. And that could turn this into anybody's game, even though it's one Philly feels like they need to have. Seattle's kind of desperate. They're well coached. They can find explosives. I if Gino's healthy, I kind of actually like the way this game might trend for them. Yeah, that wide receiver two stat was the James Bradbury stat. And then mm. the tight end stat is the linebackers and the safeties. Again, yeah. like see, I mean, and you could argue JSN, who's their wide receiver three at times, is a two, basically. Um they just they I think that both of these offenses are much more talented than both of these defenses, frankly. Yeah. From from Philly's perspective, the pass rushes would have to really come alive. And then that potential, no problem, no doubt. We've seen, you know, Hassan Reddick can be a little bit boomer bust, but um the interior of that defensive line uh has I think the ability to really push the pocket on Seattle. Ooh, it's the Jalen Carter Devin Witherspoon game. I didn't think about that. Uh Defensive rookie of the year, you know, up for grabs. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Devin Witherspoon is going to play. He got banged up. Very underrated loss. Well, not underrated in Seattle, but that was pretty big when he went out in the mm -hmm. in the Niners game in particular. So, um, although, you know, it's interesting because Witherspoon's best in the slot with the Eagles, you really need elite outside corner play. So I'll be curious to see if they move with a spoon outside, if he plays, even though he's better in the slot, Michael Jackson started for them last week. It'll be the, the, the ZX defense. It's, 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 it's a, it's an, it, it, the, it's, it's interesting. Actually, I think both these defenses have like pretty similar problems, which is they can't, they don't have linebackers who can cover. Yeah. And then they have talented players, but like not enough of them, I think to paper over their holes. So this could be, could be a Monday night banger. Let's hope we get yeah. Geno Smith. I think I'll probably still pick Philadelphia, but you know, I'm just saying. I'm I, picking I, Seattle. I'm just gonna you? tell you. I'm picking, I love I'm picking it. Seattle. Yeah, I, I just think I think Philly's defense is really struggling right now. And you know, who would have guessed this? And maybe I know pressure numbers are, are can be fickle, and you probably have better numbers than what I I, I have. Just have Pro Football Reference's numbers to go off of, but. Pro Football Reference has Seattle with a higher pressure rate this season, a higher quarterback knockdown rate this season, and they've got two more sacks than Philadelphia. And it's not to say Philadelphia's been wow. bad rushing the quarterback. Who would have thought it? Seattle, like with all the like, That's where's crazy. their pass rushers? It's they are they are the getting pass rush there is not the worst part of the Seahawks defense by any yeah. means. It's not great. 
especially since losing to Osu, but I don't think that's the problem. And again, like Leonard Williams is good. Was it a good trade? No, because look at this team, but uh, he's, he's a good football player, man. Like he is disruptive out there. Yeah. Uh, so it should be, it should be, be a good matchup. It's, yeah. Um, all right. It's going to be a fun game, I think. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Can you mind help, uh, help me rip through some picks as I wrap this up? Just Let's do it. Very quick. Okay. Oh, my God. Thursday night is uh, Chargers at Vegas. Vegas with Aiden O'Connell facing off with Easton Sticks. Stick is favored by three. Uh, I'll take Vegas. I don't know. <laughs> I'll take sure. Vegas as well. I just don't believe in anything the Chargers are doing right okay. now. I think they're done. This one's actually really hard to pick, I think. The Bengals are favored by three at home versus Minnesota. Again, Jake Browning versus Nick Mullins. So I think Browning is playing very good football. Uh, and I would pick Cincinnati. But I am scared to pick against Brian Flores' defense right now. Is yeah. that crazy? Like, what's you? <laughs> They're I mean, good. Yeah. I don't know how it's truly remarkable. The guy's done. Yeah. I mean, he has done innovative things on defense that several times now that we've never seen other guys do. So I still am going to go Cincinnati. I think I they think figured something out that. and they could, they could rattle the heck out of Browning, but I think I'm still going to go Cincinnati. Um, okay. Uh, Steelers. <laughs> God, is it Trubisky again? God, this late. Yeah. Until uh, he gets pulled for Mason Rudolph. Yeah. Okay. At the Colts, Colts are favored by one and a half Garter Minshew. You pick I'm this going, one because you're yeah, the home. I'm, I'm going Steelers. This is what they do. They lose disappointing games and then they win one just when you're about to be out on them. This is what they okay. do. I just feel like they're going to win. It does not going to make any sense, but they're going to win. Uh, yeah. God, you ready for a Steelers playoff game? No, please don't. I, I don't want uh, it to happen. Either. I don't want it okay, to happen. Okay, so we, we both went Lions. Uh, I think we both went Packers. Uh, Wow. Atlanta's only favored by three against Carolina. That is disrespectful. Yeah. I mean, I'm taking Atlanta, but geez. Uh, definitely taking Atlanta. That is absurd. Carolina's extremely bad. They're so bad. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. Um, again, staying in the NFC South, the Giants are, or the Saints are favored by six at home against the Giants. I'll tell you the Saints here. Tommy DeVito against the Saints defense, I feel like, is when the when the when the chicken cutlets fall off the plate, <laughs> I'm going Giants. I I just think the Saints aren't very good. Like I I don't trust them at all. And the Giants, yeah, these teams are good. Out. Yeah, I don't. I do like good. some of the. I I talked about this on Monday. I do think the Giants' defense is kind of fun. Yeah. Um. Okay. CJ Stroud, I think, is playing right. He was cussed. Well, I don't know actually, but I don't think we know so, yet. Yeah, so the Texans are at the Titans. The Titans are favored by two and a half, which I think assumes that C.J. Stroud doesn't play. I'm going to be a total uh, – I'll take the Texans if C.J. Stroud plays. So yeah. watch that one and, you know, I'll take the Titans if he doesn't. Yeah, uh, 
Okay, the Browns. Uh, Justin Fields traveling to Cleveland. Cleveland is favored by three, led by Joe Flacco. Cleveland got some tough news today. They lost Grant Delpit and Obo Okonronquo to injury. That sucks. I had just made this why, yeah. Oh, I had <laughs> just made this were... whole case about like, oh, Cleveland, no one wants to play them. Joe Flacco, high variance quarterback, defensive back on track, and now this. Um, I. And the Bears defense is playing good football, and they're really good against the run. I might take Chicago. I also think Chicago. I think they've figured some things out, and yeah. the Browns are hurting both sides of the ball. Tackles are a mess right now. Tackle. Oh, my I, God. Yes. They yeah. hit that a lot with the play action um, against Jacksonville, mm-hmm. as I alluded to. Quietly, quietly, the Bears are actually rushing the quarterback. <laughs> it's Yes. I know they lost Ngakwe this week, but they are quietly rushing the quarterback. They are. Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, the Zach Wilson AFC player of the week helmed New York jets traveled to Miami, Miami's favored by eight and a half. The, yeah, I mean the bang Miami on this one, but, yeah. um, I was going to say, I feel like, yeah, yeah. Miami, this is like a, like, no Ooh, we just got embarrassed. Let's, uh, and it's at home. And, uh, the Bailey Zappi, I believe led, Patriots go to Kansas City, Kansas or no, sorry, this is in New England. Bill Belichick's last stand. Uh obviously take the Chiefs, their favorite bite in the half. I might take New England to cover. Yeah. <laughs> um Rams, Washington goes to the Rams. I like the Rams, man. That's a good team. Good 100%. offense. Yep. Six and Very- a half, their favorite by. Good team. I know they don't have the record for it, but Sean McVay should be in the coach of the year conversations. Ooh. That roster at the beginning of the season, we all laughed, and he's about to make the playoffs with it. Many, many comments about uh, people think I had Sean McVay on my podcast when you were on, by the way. A lot oh, of, really? A lot of, wow, interesting. That, that guy looks exactly like Sean McVay. So. <laughs> That's very funny. I'll take that as um, You could be his new get back guy. They, the Rams always yeah. have like 20 coaches who look exactly like Sean McVay. Honestly. They do. That's very true. <laughs> That's very funny. Uh, like variants. Uh, okay. The Niners go to Arizona. Uh, 12 and a half. Yeah, that's mm, easy. Uh, easy. Hmm, yeah. Arizona's uh, crappy, but easy. Did we both take Dallas or did you take the Bills? I'm taking Dallas. I, I took Dallas as well. Yeah, I'd love to be able to take the Bills. I just feel really good about what Dallas is doing right now. Ravens only favored by three at Jacksonville. I get that. I'm taking the Ravens, but I understand it. You know, um, and then I the want f- Jacksonville to prove to me that they're capable of more. Yeah. So I wa- I'm holding to a high standard. They might be my, the most inscrutable team in the NFL right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, we, the Eagles, we were, you're taking Seattle. Love that. I'm taking, yeah. I'll take the Eagles uh, as an emotional hedge. And that's it. Uh, John, tell the people where they can find your work. Oh, man. So I do a lot of this stuff on the side now. So if you're looking for me to talk about the NFL, the Audibles and Analytics podcast, Ollie Connolly and I, who does the read optional sub stack, we do a crossover podcast once a week, maybe twice a week if we're feeling frisky. And we'll do a, what we call the home and home podcast. We just talk ball for like an hour and a half. We recorded an episode today, it just dropped. So if you're into subscribing for a couple bucks a month, that's the Audibles and Analytics podcast. You can listen to that. Um, we get in the weeds, uh, but it's fun. It's if you like if people like this show, they, they they'll love it because it's exactly that kind of stuff. You know, you 
your, your, the football nerd stuff uh, comes out for sure. I also do uh, I'll do a Bucks podcast on Audible's Analytics because I covered the team for a couple of years. Uh, that drops once a week as well. And then the Steelers podcast with myself and Brad Spielberger, I do that three times a week as well um, over at Yin's No Ball podcast. You can search that and find it. So I'm doing all kinds of stuff, Vita. Yeah, just- you do that. You're like, I do this on the side. Here are my 20 jobs. Oh, and by the way, the Steelers and the Bucks. God bless you. Oh, yes, I know. It has been a tough year, but we are persevering. Both teams still in the hunt? Still in the hunt. I just Um, want to cover the draft, Mina. (laughs) Oh, my God. We'll get there. Uh, John Ledyard NFL, I believe, is your Twitter account. Uh, Uh, Ledyard at NFL Draft, yeah. At NFL. Okay, well, I'll tweet this out and they'll see your handle. Thank you, as always. Thank you to the kind folks at Omaha, Kirsten Kirsten Sebecki, Owen Saylor, Anthony Jimenez for helping me. And we will be back next week with Dominique uh, to recap what should be an exciting week 15. Thanks, Mina. Always a blast. <laughs>